Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 224. Today, we are going to be taking a look at the unsolved disappearance of Brandy Wells, who has been missing for over 16 years at this point. It's a really frustrating case. Like we said, it is unsolved to this day, and we know that this family is still really hoping to get the answers that they need to get a little closure in this situation. So we wanted to go over everything today. And, you know, it's one of those ones that had gotten some attention back when it first happened. And a couple years later, it was featured on Disappeared. Yep, on ID Discovery. Um, So it got some attention then, but it's been a while since it's really been discussed. So we wanted to talk about it today. Yeah, this case is really tough, too, because it was extensively um, investigated, both by the police as well as the FBI, and lots of searching. I mean, a ton of work went into this case, and we're still left with just so many more questions than answers. Yes, it's very frustrating. So with all cold cases, you know, the more you talk about it, the hope is is that someone out there will know something and potentially come forward with some information that the police or investigators are looking for to hopefully find out what happened to Brandy. And I mean, the family would love to to bring her home in, in some way if they can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why we're covering it. But let's go ahead and just jump right into the episode. This episode of Mile Higher is brought to you by Simply Safe, Rocket Money, ZipRecruiter, and Honey. But let's kind of go back and just begin by talking about who Brandy Ellen Wells was. So Brandy was born on November 28th, 1982 in Tyler, Texas, and she was primarily raised by her mother, Ellen Tant. She has a sister named Georgia and a brother named Christopher. And even from a young age, Brandy had big aspirations in life. One of her dreams was to become a country singer. And being as musically talented as she was, she very well could have achieved that. Brandy went to school at Chapel Hill High School, where she was a proud member of the band and the color guard. She also performed in the school's choir and played the flute. Playing the flute and mastering flag work was very important to Brandy. Her dedication and commitment to practicing landed her a scholarship at the University of Texas at Tyler. Brandy went off to college, but her life path changed pretty quickly at the age of 19 when she met a man named Manny and fell in love, and they ended up getting married. She stayed in school through her sophomore year, but balancing her school and her home life became too much for her eventually. As a newly married couple, she and Manny didn't have a lot of money, so she had to get a job to contribute to the household income. Although Brandy dropped out, she knew she one day wanted to return to school. She just needed a little extra time to get her personal life in order before she finished her degree. Unfortunately, her path changed again just two years later when she and her husband got divorced. And this was very difficult for her. It would be difficult for any young adult, obviously. But Brandy was a tough person and she was determined to keep on moving on with her life. After getting divorced, she temporarily moved to San Antonio, Texas with a new boyfriend. She was only there briefly before she decided to move one more time into an apartment in Brownsboro, Texas. Brownsboro was just slightly east of her hometown back in Tyler. Living in Brownsboro definitely kept her family close to her, but it also gave her just enough space to become the fully independent woman that she wanted to be. And now that a few years had passed, Brandy was 23 years old and ready to go back to school. So she applied and was accepted into Trinity Valley Community College, where she was going to get her degree in early childhood education. Brandy hoped to become a kindergarten or elementary school teacher, 
And those who knew Brandy knew that she would be excellent at this. She was kind, compassionate, and patient. But getting an education isn't free, and Brandy was experiencing some financial difficulties. She did live with a roommate to help keep her expenses down, but she needed to get a job to bring in some extra money to pay the bills. So in the summer of 2006, Brandy got a job working at Walmart, where she would work part-time as she went to school. And Brandy was also considering selling some nice pieces of jewelry that she had to make a little extra cash. But she was hoping that her new job would get her through this difficult financial time once she eventually started it. And even though going to school would not be cheap, of course, she was very eager to get started. And it was a little nerve-wracking for her going back to school. I mean, she was going to be several years older than her classmates, and it had been a while since she'd even been in a classroom. But she wanted to make new friends and have people to socialize with on the weekends. Brandy did have a handful of friends, but she hoped going back to school would really introduce her to some more people that she could get along with. And she was also really excited to join the school's color guard team on full scholarship. Again, she loved doing color guard, so she thought this would be a great opportunity to meet like-minded people. So the summer was coming to an end and Brandy's life was picking back up again. Because of this, Brandy decided that she wanted one last hurrah before her schedule was dictated by schoolwork and her job. It's not hard to imagine that any 23-year-old jumping back into adult life would want one last night of freedom before going back to the real world. But this decision would ultimately change everything for Brandy. On August 2nd, 2006, Brandy's mother was thrilled to see that her daughter had come home to visit. Ellen wasn't entirely sure why Brandy came over, but she loved her daughter, which meant that any reason to see her was a good one. And Brandy was quick to tell her mom why she had stopped by. She wanted to go out to a nightclub. And she came by to see if her sister Georgia still wanted to go with her. The two had actually talked previously about possibly going to a nightclub called Graham Central Station in Longview. But Georgia wasn't feeling well, so she told her sister she wasn't going out. And she went to bed instead. But this setback wasn't going to stop her from this last hurrah. Even if it meant going alone, Brandy was determined to go. So just for some context, I'm going to give you a little bit of background information on Graham Central Station, this club. It's basically sort of a cowboy bar, and it was always packed with young people. And the bar was always running advertisements on the local radio stations to try and draw guests in. So that might be how Brandy actually heard about this bar. Also, we'll note that the bar was right on the edge of where the seedier part of town starts. That night, it was ladies' night at the bar, meaning girls could get in for free. And it would be packed with men in cowboy hats looking to socialize. The bar was actually about a 45-minute drive from Tyler to Longview. As for why Brandy wanted to go that far to go to the club, her godmother Michelle said she just wanted to check it out. She had heard it was fun, so she wanted to go. As far as we know, she didn't have any plans to meet anyone, and the crowd in Tyler was sort of harder to break into. Anyway, Brandy spent some time with her mother before leaving and tried on a few outfits for her to get her opinion. Brandy likely didn't want her mother to worry, so she wasn't super explicit about her plan that night. She said that she'd be meeting up with some friends, and didn't give her the name of the exact club she was going to. Her mom just assumed that she was going to the Electric Cowboy in Tyler. Now, it most likely wasn't her intention to lie to her mom, but it is possible that she might have wanted to leave out some details to avoid the million questions that her mother might have asked her in this particular situation. Just before leaving, though, Brandy did ask her mom if she could take her car that night. She explained how her car was very low on gas, and she didn't have enough money to both cover gas, as well as the expenses from going out to the club that night. She was going to go to the pawn shop the next day and sell some of her jewelry for extra cash, but she needed the cash that night for gas, so she was in a bit of a bind. Brandy wasn't a big drinker, 
and we know that she was driving, so she most likely wasn't planning to rack up a huge bar tab. However, even one or two drinks could be costly, especially for someone on a tight budget. And although her reasoning for wanting to drive her mom's car was valid, Ellen's car was also low on gas. So Brandy left for Graham Central Station in her own car, which was a 2000 black Pontiac Grand Prix. She was wearing a dark floral printed top, brown pants, and black strapless high-heeled sandals before making the full 45-minute drive to Graham Central Station in Longview. Brandy made a short pit stop at a local bowling alley. The bartender at this bowling alley was a family friend named Jeanette Green. When Brandy sat up at the bar top, she told Jeanette that she had gotten permission to get a drink on her mother's tab. Brandy ended up ordering a cherry vodka sour and sipped on it while the two chatted. She let Jeanette know about her plans to go to Graham Central Station that night and how this would be the last night for a long time that she could do something like this. Jeanette said that she didn't love the idea of Brandy driving that far to go to a club alone, but she knew she was an adult who was capable of making safe and smart decisions. In fact, Brandy reassured Jeanette that she would be safe that night, but even this reassurance didn't sit well with her. 30 years earlier, Jeanette had a friend who went missing after going out to a nightclub alone. She couldn't imagine the same thing happening again, but she just fell off about the whole thing. Jeanette also didn't have the authority to tell Brandy what to do. So she just wished her, you know, to have a fun and safe night and she left the bowling alley after only finishing half of her drink. Brandy had never been to Graham Central Station before, and the 45-minute drive did her no favors when it came to knowing where she was going. She made a handful of calls to the nightclub to ask for directions and confirm that she was going the right way. We know at least once she had to turn around because she was not going the right way. But Brandy ended up arriving by 10.30 p.m. and was ready to make the most of her night. Now we do want to also mention that the parking lot was huge. It was like the size of a Walmart parking lot. And at the time, patrons reported that there were security and golf carts who drove around the lot constantly. Video surveillance footage shows that Brandy entered the nightclub at 10.35 p.m. And just two minutes later, she is seen on surveillance scanning her ID at the front counter. She had left her purse back in her car. Now, as for what happened at the club, we can't say for sure. A handful of witnesses say that Brandy seemed sober and didn't appear to be engaging with anyone suspicious as far as they could tell. It really did seem just like an ordinary night out, which makes what happened next even more confusing because at 12.29 a.m., Brandy is seen leaving Graham Central Station and she's seen leaving alone. Whether or not she's actually alone, though, becomes highly questionable if you watch this footage closely. So let's go ahead and take a look. So there's no audio on this clip uh, because it's just surveillance video, but you can clearly see her walking out. And it looks like initially as she's leaving the club, Mm -hmm. she's going to the right or straight kind of straight to the right. But then you can kind of see that her shadow starts moving left, which this is kind of an important detail because we don't know it from the video. It doesn't look like she walks out with anybody, but it seems that she heads in one direction, but then she almost immediately changes direction going yeah. the other way. And you can see this man in a white cowboy hat as well. If you kind of shortly behind let's her, look at this one more time. It's hard to tell if he's walking with her, but it kind of looks like he's walking behind her. But he, I mean, he goes off to a different yeah. direction, so it's hard to, it's really hard to say. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But is he kind of keeping an eye on her? If you see yeah. his, his head kind of stays towards her. It almost looks like he turns his head to the right and kind of maybe says something to her. And then that's when Brandy actually starts walking the same direction as him. Yeah. Yeah. Watch. 
So he starts walking and then he turns his head right directly to her. Mm-hmm. And then at that moment, that's when Brandy turns the same direction as him. Yeah. And kind of follows him. Which I, I mean, mean it's har- yeah, it's hard to say. I'd be, really I could be is. completely wrong. But from what I see, that's what it looks like to yeah. me. But it's a busy nightclub. I mean, right. He could have really just, just left at say. the same time. My thing is that she drove 45 minutes to this club and she wasn't there that long. Yeah. No, she wasn't. I right? know. That's a far way to go. Like to get there around 1030 and then to leave like two hours later. Well, I mean, she did know that she had a longer drive home. That's true. Maybe she didn't want to drive home super, super late. Right. Or it was lame there. I mean, there's a million reasons you would leave That's true. somewhere early. Or she was leaving with somebody. Right. But which is possible but we don't know. know yeah there is one theory that maybe she just went you know to get some free drinks because it was ladies night right. and she and was on a budget so she could have just been going there and then was for heading the two hours of to somewhere else for the after. free drinks and then that that seems mm, yeah definitely possible but wouldn't she like what are the chances of her moving from grams and going to somewhere else by herself versus if she had been invited by somebody to go with them or maybe yeah i know this person in the the cowboy hat who in my opinion seems to say something to her either she went with him or she was going to follow him or something but this is the last time that brandy wells is seen and she did not return home the following day so the next day ellen woke up and she didn't see brandy and at first she didn't think much of it i mean Brandy was an adult who lived on her own. It seemed most likely that her daughter drove to her apartment after her night out. She also thought it was possible that Brandy had too much to drink and maybe she spent the night at a friend's house rather than driving home. There was really no reason for Brandy to explain to her mother where she went and Ellen thought that she would hear from her soon. But then several hours went by with no word from Brandy, but still she didn't think too much of it. Brandy had a lot of changes coming up in her life, and her stress levels were high, so she probably had other things on her mind. But when Brandy's roommate called Ellen and told her that Brandy hadn't come home, obviously she began to worry. So she starts trying to reach out to her daughter, but phone call after phone call just went to voicemail. She left several messages, each one more frantic than the last, and she just wanted to know that her daughter was all right. By the morning of Friday, August 4th, Ellen had waited long enough. Brandy's voicemail was now completely full and nobody had seen or heard from her in more than 24 hours. So that's when they decided it was time to call the police and report Brandy Wells missing. So an officer from the Tyler Police Department responded to the call and drove over to Ellen's house to take down the report. She began telling the officer that Brandy went to a local nightclub in Tyler called the Electric Cowboy with some friends because that's what she thought she had done. But Brandy's sister, Georgia, quickly interrupted her and corrected her mother. She said that Brandy hadn't been in Tyler that night. Instead, she'd driven 45 minutes to Longview to go to Graham Central Station. So with this new information, the officer explained that they would need to contact the Longview Police Department. So right away, Ellen contacted the Longview Police Department. But unlike the authorities in Tyler, Longview didn't seem very concerned over the report of a missing person. They told Ellen that Brandy was an adult and that she could essentially leave without warning. Now, this is obviously very frustrating to Ellen. This wasn't like Brandy. She knew that something was wrong. And we all know that the first 48 hours are the most important 
in an investigation, especially a missing persons case. And the first 48 hours were almost up at this point. But the Longview police said that she probably left voluntarily, given all the stress in her life. And because of that, they wouldn't need to conduct a missing persons investigation. Although the authorities didn't believe Brandy was missing, her family knew the truth. So they began conducting their own searches in the area near the nightclub, looking for anything that would lead them back to her. Brandy's godmother, Michelle Cole, who was like a second mother to her, couldn't, you know, stand by and do nothing. So she and many others reached out to the community asking for help. And obviously, when you have a missing persons case, you want to find the vehicle that they were last in. Finding her car is going to be super helpful in the search efforts because it might tell you where Brandy actually went. But little did they know that Brandy's car had already been found by police. Longview police found Brandy's car on August 3rd, the day before her family came in to report her missing. The vehicle had actually been abandoned on Interstate 20. An officer driving on the interstate past mile marker 591 saw the black Pontiac Grand Prix on the side of the road. What's interesting is that its driver's side door had been left open. The officer ran the license plate, but nothing came up. So he marked the car as abandoned and assumed the owner would come for it or have it towed soon. It's also important to note that this officer didn't do anything wrong in this particular situation. Brandy wasn't reported missing until the following day, so he had no way of knowing that this car was actually linked to a missing person. But when Ellen called the police saying her daughter didn't come home, a simple search of their internal system would have shown that her vehicle was actually found abandoned the day before. Had they made this connection then, then the search for Brandy could have started immediately. And as we all know, time is so crucial when looking for a missing person. It wasn't until two days later on August 6th that they made a connection between Brandy being missing and the car being abandoned. A concerned citizen driving on I-20 had called to report the abandoned vehicle. And when the Longview police ran the plates this time, they realized who the car belonged to. It was this realization that convinced them that Brandy Wells was missing after all. So when investigators and cadaver dogs actually went out to the area where the vehicle was, there had been heavy rain and strong winds at the time, which a lot of investigators related to this case have said that this actually destroyed what little evidence there was, meaning it was very difficult for their dogs to pick up a scent. But Kendall and I were actually talking about this before the episode, and Kendall had some interesting information about that because that's actually not accurate, correct? Yeah, I've just always heard, and we just looked it up and confirmed, that scent molecules become more potent in the rain, so it's actually more helpful for investigations to be held either after there was just rain or in the rain. For scent to be picked up yeah. by by the dogs, which which I've always heard heavy rain when hunting is good because right. the scent is just much more potent than when it's not. But again, maybe maybe the winds factor into that somehow, yeah. and maybe the wind, because mm-hmm. winds would push scent right you know particles away so that coupled maybe with that i think there's some you know we're not scientists so i don't know for sure what the science is behind it but it may or may not be accurate what they said as far as the you know Mm -hmm. not being able to pick up a scent on august 8th but investigative search teams tried to find clues in the area surrounding brandy's car but nothing turned up however they didn't leave completely empty-handed a search of brandy's car actually revealed several important clues In addition to finding her purse and wallet, investigators found a cell phone and a napkin with a man's name and number on it. Her purse was also still inside the vehicle. Yeah, this is another interesting thing to note. The purse was actually found in the back of the car, which is significant because it's telling us that someone 
could have been riding in the front with her or she was riding in the front. Someone was in the driver's seat because most of the time, obviously, everyone's different. I do know people that put their purse in the back. But I feel like if you're riding alone, most of the time, you put it in the passenger seat. You set your purse in the passenger seat. Yeah. So maybe. But I mean, there are some people that would like put it in the back too, potentially. Sometimes. But I mean, with what else we know about this car? it seems very likely someone was riding in the vehicle with her. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. The police also found a partial fingerprint on the driver's side door of Brandy's car, but investigators weren't able to match it to anyone. There was also no signs of a struggle in the vehicle, but investigators were curious to see that the driver's seat of the vehicle had been completely pushed back. Given that Brandy was only four foot eleven, there was no way she would have been able to drive this car no. with her seat pushed back that far. Brandy's mother is five foot one, and when she got into the car, she could barely reach the pedals. But when Brandy's stepdad hopped into the vehicle, he could sit very comfortably in the seat the way it was. He was six foot one. So whoever was driving that vehicle to the point where it was abandoned would have been at least six feet tall. Now, something that's really important that we mentioned again is that Brandy was low on gas that night. She mentioned it to her mom before she left, and she even brought it up to at least one person that we know of that night at Graham Central Station. It is interesting because I have seen it brought up that it's possible Brandy put the car seat back in order to like take a nap or something to sleep. Maybe she was tired while driving or since she had run out of gas, could she have pulled over because of that and then slept? But that doesn't really make sense. And then eventually got out, maybe started walking or something. I mean, maybe, but wouldn't she have used her phone to call someone if she was really out of gas or tried to make more of an attempt to do something about that before going to sleep. I don't know if that theory really holds up, but I did want to mention it because it is brought up a lot. Some people who interacted with Brandy at the club were questioned by police, and one person said that she implied she needed money for gas. This person said they didn't help her, so investigators believe that she went looking elsewhere for help, and they believe that she did get this help from someone. That's because they found an empty plastic gas can in the backseat of her car. Brandy's godmother, Michelle, said that it was sitting behind one of the front seats, although many reports say it was found in the trunk. The plastic can was not believed to belong to Brandy, so whoever gave it to her likely was the last person who saw her. Whether or not this person was involved in her disappearance, this became a major priority for police to figure out. So obviously the first place the police are going to start is the man whose name and number was on that napkin in her car. And they were able to find this man and interview him. But despite his cooperation, the man wasn't able to tell investigators anything new. He said that he had spoke with Brandy that night and offered to buy her a drink. She turned down this offer, but instead asked that he help her get gas. He said that he didn't have any cash on him, just his credit and debit cards. But he did write down his number on the napkin. That way, in case she didn't get the help she needed with the gas, he would be able to help her. This man was cleared by the police, so they had to start looking elsewhere. The more investigators looked into what happened at the club, the more dead ends they hit. First off, they never got a full list of everyone who went to Graham Central Station that night. Most, if not all, of the guests would have swiped their IDs that night, so there was probably some record of who was there. The surveillance footage that we mentioned earlier was thoroughly searched for any clues into Brandy's disappearance. Detectives even brought in members of Brandy's family to confirm her identity in the clip so they could figure out exactly when she arrived and when she left. And they also wanted to see if she was with anyone at that point. Ellen was understandably too upset to actually review the footage herself, so another family member went. But this person falsely identified Brandy as another woman. 
The woman who was believed to be Brandy was seen talking to two men in the footage. And obviously tracking down these men would be a great lead for investigators. But it turns out that the woman wasn't Brandy. It wasn't until Brandy's mother and her aunt and uncle reviewed the footage that they discovered that the police were looking for the wrong girl. So six precious weeks had been wasted at that point. So investigators had to rework their timeline and reassess who was with Brandy when she was leaving the club that night. With the family's help, they were able to find the real footage of Brandy entering and exiting the club. And as we showed earlier, the footage of her exiting showed a man in a cowboy hat trailing behind her. So in an effort to get help from the public, the surveillance footage was released to the news media. And they hoped that someone could maybe identify that man in the white cowboy hat who left just behind Brandy. But again, nothing ever came out of it. Man, that's such a bummer because I I really want to know if he spoke to her even that night. I know. No one saw anything. I mean, from the, again, from the footage, it just seems like maybe they they had chatted inside and then he said something to her. Maybe though. It's just, it's so hard to say for sure. It's such a short amount of footage to really analyze. It could have even just been her like holding the door for him. I just thought of it. Right. She As she walks out, she kind of looks behind her right. as she's opened the door. Maybe he was like, thank you or something like that as yeah. she walked out. It could be yeah. something as simple as that. There's just not enough to say. And obviously, Graham's is a country bar in Texas. So many men that were there that night were wearing cowboy hats. And it would be really hard to narrow down that man specifically. So during a candlelight vigil that the family held for Brandy, they were able to talk to a girl who hung out with her at the club that night. And the girl said that a Hispanic male had been following her and Brandy around the club that night. And at one point, she said that they both went into the ladies' room to get away from him, hoping that he would leave them alone. But weirdly enough, according to them, she refused to talk to the police. And it's obvious that Brandy wouldn't have just up and left on her own accord. I mean, nothing about that story makes sense. And the more that time went on, the more it was believed that Brandy was a victim of foul play. So the surveillance footage error wasn't the only time that the police were unfortunately working off of false assumptions. Earlier, we mentioned that a cell phone was found near Brandy's car, and the police just assumed that the phone belonged to her. But it turns out it didn't. Weeks after Brandy disappeared, Ellen was at the Longview police station to submit some of her daughter's DNA. And during the visit... The police showed her the cell phone for the first time. And Ellen immediately told the police that it wasn't her daughter's phone. The phone actually belonged to her ex-boyfriend, who is now in the military. According to Brandy's godmother, her ex gave her the phone before he was deployed. They broke up while he was stationed overseas, and he had given her the phone because, at the time, they apparently weren't allowed to take cell phones with them. So one thing that's really strange and confusing, the police had called everyone in that phone, her ex's phone, and about half of them actually knew who Brandy was. So if it was her phone, wouldn't pretty much everyone in her contacts know who she was? It's pretty strange. I mean, it would make sense for an ex's phone because obviously, you you know. Right, you probably had friends, members, or family in there that didn't necessarily know who she was, but. Yeah, so at this point, they showed the phone to Brandy's family, and Ellen was devastated to learn that the police were going down the wrong path with this phone. It seems like nothing was being fully corroborated and no new leads were being followed. The Longview Police Department had said that they were working diligently to follow up on every tip that came in. 
But we can only imagine the family didn't feel that way when the only thing they were hearing was that the police didn't know anything more. But a break in the case was finally made when investigators were able to get a hold of Brandy's cell phone records. Brandy shared a phone plan with a close friend of hers, and the friend gave them permission to access their records so they could see if there was any activity on Brandy's account. Now, why they didn't think to do this sooner is obviously really frustrating. We'd like to think that this would be one of the first moves they would make when they realized that Brandy was missing. But they did get lucky with the records. After several weeks of zero activity on her account, a series of hundreds of calls were made using her number. These calls were all placed back-to-back, lasting no more than two minutes each. This type of call behavior aligns with the call patterns of a drug dealer, but Brandy wasn't a dealer or a user. The investigators traced a call to a residential area in a bad part of Longview. It was known to be a hot spot for crack cocaine trafficking, and it definitely wasn't an area that Brandy would have chose to visit. According to her ex-husband, Manny, the phone was traced to 398 West Ekman Street in Longview, about five miles north of where the car was discovered and about one mile south of Graham Central Station. After being traced, investigators were led to a man with a long criminal record and his niece. They said the phone had been given to them by someone else. They submitted to polygraph tests and were not found to have any connection to Brandy. The man that gave them the phone also had a long criminal record, and he had less of a straightforward story. During questioning, this man, who has never been publicly identified, said that he found the phone on the ground sometime around August 11th. We don't know exactly at which location the man actually found the phone, but he said he began using the phone himself and then pawned it off to someone else. He claims to have no connection to Brandy, but he was asked to take a polygraph. The reports on his polygraph vary slightly some saying that he outright refused and others saying he took one and failed. Brandy's mother said the police told him that he failed and that part of his story wasn't true, but they won't tell her which part. They also won't tell her where the phone was found or even what the man's name is. But without more evidence linking him to Brandy, this was a lead that wound up going nowhere and this would be a pattern for years to come. During the first year of Brandy's disappearance, there were three main searches, but nothing of substance was found. Among these searches, one was led by the Laura Recovery Center. After learning about Brandy's disappearance, they gathered their resources to help her family however they could. And despite this incredible effort, Brandy has never been found. To this day, Brandy's disappearance is unsolved. And about a year after Brandy disappeared, her social security number was used on a job application in North Carolina. The job application listed a woman's name that wasn't Brandy's. When the police visited the address listed on the application, they showed residents her picture but none of them recognized Brandy. They also knocked on the door of the unit that was listed in the application. An African-American ex-military man answered the door, so obviously this definitely wasn't Brandy. Police showed him her picture, but he didn't recognize her and had never heard of her before. He also didn't know anything about the job application. Investigators still don't know who used the number or how they got it, but they think likely somebody who was undocumented probably got bought the number or something illegally and used a fake name and address. But the number was flagged by the FBI, so that's where the issue was. One day, Brandy's godmother, Michelle, got a weird phone call from an unknown number. When she picked up the phone, a man said, Ellen? Michelle called Ellen over to the phone. The caller then identified himself as a man named Tim. Tim told Ellen that her daughter was alive and living in Kansas City, Missouri. This caller has never been identified, and we don't know if what he was saying is true or he was just playing a sick joke on the family, which sadly does happen more often than not. Michelle thinks the phone call was odd because the caller dialed her number and not Ellen's. Michelle had actually moved in with Ellen after Brandy went missing, and she thinks that it's weird that the caller might have known that. 
As the years have gone on, multiple bodies have been discovered in the Longview area, but none of these bodies belong to Brandy Wells. Graham Central Station was closed in 2015, and it's been replaced by another electric cowboy location. So that leads us to potential possibilities and theories as to what happened to Brandy. And with most cold cases, there's tons and tons of theories out there across community message boards about what happens to people that go missing. There is one theory in particular that stands out when it comes to Brandy, given her gender, age, and location at the time of her disappearance. Many people, including her family, have come to believe that Brandy was the victim of human trafficking, which this is something that Josh and I do agree is probably the most likely scenario here. So in 2008, a report from the Attorney General's office said that at the time, Texas was one of the primary hubs for human trafficking in the United States, with Houston and Dallas having the highest number of trafficked victims annually. And the interstate where Brandy's car was found is also not far from one of the largest human trafficking routes in the country at the time. The idea that Brandy could have been lured by someone who was looking to sell her into human trafficking is horrific, but it's definitely not impossible. And I feel like these individuals who are doing these abductions mm-hmm. and trying to lure women, what better place to go than a yeah. ladies' night at a yeah. popular club, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. That's why... Scary, man. Yeah. And obviously, we always suggest that if you are going to be going out to a place like this or really anywhere, it's always better to travel travel with a buddy you know, or yeah, even more than just a buddy. I mean, a, a group, group of, of girls, group of people, yeah, or yeah. people. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, I'm sure if this is the case, there is somebody there looking for potential victims. I mm-hmm. mean, they're probably watching the door. They're watching yeah. to see who comes in alone. And you know, yeah, as a as a woman, I mean, yeah, and they're looking for people that are relaxed and and not and, just like human trafficking, but being yeah. drugged or oh yeah, just you know, sexually scenarios. assaulted. There's so many things. Yeah, unfortunately, you just really have to be on guard when you go out you know, looking out for the people you're with and for yourself because it's really scary out there. But from what we've read, Brandy's family has really held on to that idea that she was trafficked because obviously in their minds, it means that maybe she's still alive. Ellen had actually attended a human trafficking seminar in Tyler in 2012 to learn a little bit more about it. And in that seminar, she actually learned about sex slavery rings that were taking place in the area and the likelihood of being targeted. Some people, on the other hand, believe that maybe she was taken by someone that she knew. In one report that we had come across, Brandy's ex-husband, Manny, claimed that she had been molested by two family members in the past. So there is a possibility that someone's secret was going to come out, and they wanted to stop that from happening. Now, we're not super confident in that theory because it has... It's all speculative. There's no evidence to back it up at all. Exactly. But I mean, if Manny is saying this, then I mean, I think it's worth at least mentioning, but it's probably highly unlikely Mm -hmm. um, based on the the circumstances. But And the third most common theory in this case is the idea that Brandy was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Which I feel like for so many people that just go missing or disappear, seemingly vanish off the face of the earth, it's like when there's nothing else pointing to any other theory it's like there's just people out there that are hunting essentially looking for yeah for victims sadly i mean i've covered so many different serial killers and just scary people that this is what they this is like mm-hmm. what they do for fun basically mm-hmm. is 
Especially for, given that she was alone. Yeah. And openly asking strangers for help getting gas for her car. And she... When you divulge that information to the wrong person, right. they can then in turn use that against you. And Obviously. I feel like that may have been what happened. Yeah. Is that she just happened to run into the wrong person that night and... She told them, you know, I'm almost out of mm -hmm. gas and, yeah. and all these things. And I mean, she was in a very vulnerable situation. Brandy was a very intelligent person. However, her godmother did say that maybe Brandy didn't have the best street smarts because she kind of assumed that other people were just as sweet as her. She was always kind of looking for the best in people. And she was very eager to meet new people at the time. I mean, she had mentioned right. that she was looking for friends. And again, this was the first time she was going to Graham Central Station. Mm -hmm. She didn't really know where she was going. She wasn't familiar with the area. Didn't yeah. have a lot of experience right. with the people that hung out there. So it's 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 difficult because she, you know, she may have ended up in a situation that she had no idea she was going to be in. Mm -hmm. um, that she was just innocently wanting to go to a club because she had heard it on the radio that it was this fun place and yeah. you know go out and have a good time and in right. fact there's all these other layers that the, the you know the average person doesn't know unless mm -hmm. you spend a lot of time in a location like this or yeah. part of town where you would know like hey you don't want to be out at night especially 12:30 at night by yourself especially as a woman because there are so many pressures. instances yeah. of of crime well, there is the possibility, of course, that she left the club. No one followed her. Everything was fine at that point. But then she ran out of gas while driving and someone pulled off on the side of the road and took her from there if she had, you know. Or maybe she got out and like asked for a ride or something. But she then, could have done but that. But then again, why would she leave the phone? Why would she leave? Why wouldn't she have called someone before yeah. looking for? I mean, I don't know. It's really just hard to say. It's possible that she was followed by someone that she met at the club who knew that she would be out of gas soon. That's an idea as well. I still think of the fingerprint on the door, though, mm -hmm. that they weren't able to. Which, again, fingerprints are one of those things. It's like, yeah, you know, unless they're really hard to positively yeah, ID you don't somebody know with. When it was put. Right. I you mean, don't know when it was yeah. there. I mean, it would. I mean, to lift it, though, it would have had to have been Some fairly recent, recent right. to lift it. So to me, I'm like, and just because of the seat, the seat thing really makes me stop and think. And just from where the car was abandoned and everything, I just think it almost looks very staged in the way that it is. But then again, if you were going to stage a vehicle, you know, would, wouldn't you take all of the stuff out of there? Like, you know, if you're going to take it all or would you leave the stuff in there? Yeah, maybe you could intentionally leave it there. Again, there's just so many different possibilities here. There was one suspect that the police considered at one point, a sex offender named Joseph Wayne Burnett. While Joseph was out of prison after serving time for sexual assault, he became a person of interest in two sexual homicides in the local area. Joseph was out of prison during the same time that Brandy went missing. So police thought that the three cases might have been connected. Both women's bodies were discovered burned in 2006, and it is still unknown who killed the first woman. But the second woman was not identified for 13 years. However, this woman ended up not being Brandy. Her name was Dana Lynn Dodd. Joseph did murder another woman named Felicia Pearson in 2018, and he pled guilty to the murders of Felicia and Dana in 2020. But we don't know if police still think that Joseph is a person of interest in Brandy's case or not. 
Without more evidence, it's impossible to say what happened to Brandy after she left the club that night on August 3rd, 2006. It's absolutely devastating that her family still has no answers after more than 16 years. Obviously, her family is still hanging on to hope that maybe she is still alive, but they have said it would also be kind of nice for them to have closure and be able to give her a proper burial if she is no longer with us. And they are just never going to stop looking for her. As of this recording, Brandy is approaching her 40th birthday, and she deserves to be found. So if you have any information on the unsolved disappearance of Brandy Wells, please contact the Longview Police Department at 903-237-1199. That's 903-237-1199. I really hope that this one gets solved, or at least there's some closure there. Hopefully they find her. Like you said, it's just got to be the worst thing in the world to not know. I can't imagine anything harder Mm -hmm. to deal with the uncertainty, the thoughts that would fill your head all the time. I mean, I just don't know how you would go on. Well, especially, you know, they're probably every time they see a body, you know, recovered in the area, they're probably thinking, Mm -hmm. um, maybe this is Brandy. And when it's not, I can only imagine how that must feel to kind of be back at square one all over again and you're just waiting for for something i do feel like the police though have more information maybe than what's been released as in many of these cold cases there's a lot of information because they are trying to build a case and maybe Mm -hmm. there is a suspect or a person of interest who they have a a decent amount of evidence for but they're just there's not a you know there's not enough to charge them Mm -hmm. with you know the homicide of of brandy wells or you know abduction whatever it may be i guess that's possible but i don't know but at this point they'd probably release something i don't know sometimes they they, a lot of police departments don't release anything they keep it close to the chest because they're you know they're continuing Mm -hmm. to work on it over the years but Mm -hmm. it could just be a completely cold at this point though there's absolutely nothing and yeah the police aren't spending any resources well if she was unfortunately brought into human trafficking there's probably not much else i mean these are like professional jobs Right, the the rings are yeah. are very very organized and Ugh, it's just horrible. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's episode there. Again, if anyone out there has any information mm-hmm. about her disappearance, be sure to contact the Longview Police Department. That yeah. information's in the description. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube or the show notes, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. But that is it for us today. We will see you guys next time. Until then, keep on taking your mind a mile higher.